I'm going to be with you guys just like I would be in my class. All right. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 this morning. I think I'm going to take off my coat too. I'm a little warm today. And uh, Pastor Rice asked me to teach last week and I was, he asked, he kind of puts the pressure on me. He asked me in front of uh, uh, Brother Tim here and Beetle and He's like, can you teach class? And I was like, no. I was kind of hesitant about it because this afternoon I'm going down to Loudonville and uh, I knew I had a busy week and I had to get a lot ready. I'm going to be hunting. We're going to be deer hunting. So pray that I shoot a big buck, okay? And uh, so there's a few of us that are going. Uh, Abe's going. His dad's here. His brother-in-law, Isaac, is here. And I, I heard Mariah's coming down on Wednesday, so that'll be fun. So and then Austin's going. And Austin missed a deer the other day uh, with his bow, so we're going for the revenge tour. We're going to try to get that deer. And uh, so I was kind of hesitant, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to have to worry about it. I don't want to have to mess with this. And, you know, the Lord convicted me because a couple weeks ago I was teaching my class, and I told my class, if the pastor asks you to do something <laughs> and you're able to do it, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to think about it. Just do it. And uh, so the Lord, actually Andrea convicted me of that. She reminded me of that. And I said, all right, I'll teach the class. And so I have been thinking about this. And this was a lesson I did a couple weeks ago in my class. And so I changed it up a little bit so my, my, my people are not bored. So um, Matthew chapter 20. And actually, let's, let's back up to uh, Matthew chapter 19 so we can get some context. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 19, verse 27, this is a question that Peter is asking. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and follow thee. What shall we have therefore? It's a good question. We've forsaken all. We have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto him, unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life." But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Then Jesus jumps into this parable in chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent, forth into his, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, 
Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, they, and when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. It is not lawful for me to do what I will do with mine own. Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Peter has a good question here. He says, we have forsaken all. In other words, what are we going to get out of it? What's in it for me, Lord, to follow you? I like that question. I ask that question sometimes to myself. What's the rewards for me? I like the emphasis on all. Peter obviously thought he had forsaken all. He thought he had given up all to follow the Lord. And uh, uh, that's a good question. And in verse 28 and verse 29, he answers the question. And he says, hey, uh, let's see here. What does he say? In verse 29, he says, everyone that forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and they're going to receive, uh, they're going to inherit everlasting the life, or everlasting life. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the lesson. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for the day. Lord, thank you for the music we heard this morning. I thank you for the faithful people that are here. Lord, speak to our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. The Lord describes a vineyard in this parable at the time of harvest. I don't know if it was a grape vineyard, um, an olive vineyard, uh, I don't know if it was, I don't think figs grow in vineyards. I, think, I don't know. Uh, but it was, a, it was a vineyard. It was a time of harvest. And there was a need for workers. And the Bible tells us a householder goes to the market early in the morning. I would imagine, I, I read some commentaries. They say that the Jewish workday was around 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was a 12-hour shift. And so you have this householder that's going to the market at 6 a.m. And the Bible says he goes to find workers and when he finds his workers he agrees to pay them one penny for the day a penny for the day um he takes them back to the vineyard and they start working and the bible says the third hour that would be 9 a.m he saddles up his horses uh he gets in the wagon and he goes right back to the marketplace and he looks for more workers and then at, and then i think in verse three uh, actually, uh, verse 4, the Bible says he goes back, actually, verse 5, sorry, he goes back the sixth hour, which would be about noon. He saddles up his horses, gets in his wagon, goes back to the marketplace to get more workers. And then in, uh, that, I believe it's that same verse here, uh, the ninth hour. So the ninth hour would be 3 p.m. He again packs up all of his gear, gets his horses, gets his wagon, goes back to the marketplace and gets more workers. All the way, the Bible says, to the 11th hour, where he's going, the final hour of the day, it would be 5 p.m. There's one, day, one hour left of the day to work. He gets his, 
He gets his mules, he gets his horses, he gets his wagons, he packs them up, he goes back to the marketplace to get workers. I see some things here that I'm going to point out this morning, and it'll be very basic things, but the first thing I see is the urgency for workers. There was a need. There was a harvest. Um, Perhaps there was a lack of workers. Um, Perhaps there was an employee shortage. Maybe there was a pandemic. (laughs) Maybe the government was paying people to stay home. Maybe that was a competitive time for workers because there was other farms in the area that needed workers and everybody's vying for the same, work, for the same workers. We don't know, uh, but it does seem a little excessive that in a 12-hour shift, you're going to go back to the marketplace not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times to find workers. There was emergency. There was a need for a job to be done. I don't know if these grapes were going to rot. I don't know if they had to get them into the barn. Um, I I don't know. But there was an urgency for workers. This was a persistent recruiter. (laughs) Uh, I'm a recruiter. I've been a recruiter for uh, 12. Actually, I've probably been a recruiter for 20 years. Many of you know I worked for a staffing company for 10 years. And then I went to Spectrum, a cable company, and I had been a recruiter for there for 12 years. Um, I recruit for the entire Great Lakes region, so I have all of Michigan, greatest state. (laughs) I I have all of Michigan, I have all of Indiana, I have northern Ohio, my furthest office, my furthest store that I staff for is in Mansfield, I have western Pennsylvania, I have about 60 to 65 stores that I'm responsible for staffing. I personally hire about 300 people a year, so I know the challenges of finding workers. Our company has 95,000 workers. We churn one-third of our workforce every year, which means we are hiring 30,000 people every year. It's a huge challenge for our company. We need tons of recruiters. We need tons of workers. The people are out there. There is a ton of people out there, but they don't want to work. (laughs) They don't want to work. There's a lot of reasons for that. I I mentioned a couple uh, in jest. There's Maybe the government is taking care of them. I don't know. But I know what it feels like to need workers and not have people who will work. It seems like nobody wants to work in 2022. All right? Um, Another issue, another issue could be maybe the workers they had did not have a good work ethic. Maybe they were poor performers. Maybe that's why he had to keep going to the marketplace because the people he kept bringing bringing in we're not good workers. Not everybody has a strong work ethic. You're not born with a strong work ethic. That's beat into you as a kid. <laughs> it was beat into me as a kid, all right? I could tell you all kinds of stories about my dad. My dad was a worker. My dad's uh, stepfather was a military man, and he taught my dad how to work. And my dad was a hard worker. And um, these kids in the nursery, these babies in the nursery, they can take all the toys out. They can play with all the toys, but when it's time to put the toys back away, they struggle with that. Why is that? They don't have that work. It's a learned behavior. You're taught how to work. I remember when I was working at Little Caesars, um, I don't know, I was 18 years old. All my friends, they were going out to play softball one night, and they said, call off, call off. I had never called off before. So I, I called my mom and says, can I call off? I called her first. <laughs> I didn't call dad. And she goes, you've got to ask your dad. So I called my dad. 
And he says, you get your tail into that store right now, and you do not call off. You're never calling off. You're committed to the job. And he got all over me, and I wasn't allowed to call off. And I was in there making pizzas when all my friends were playing softball. But I was taught a work ethic at a young age. I remember one time he told me, he goes, I want the leaves picked up in the front yard before I get home from work. Well, I forgot to do that. I went to play with some friends, didn't do the leaves. I went to bed at about 11 o'clock. He comes from home, home from work. He wakes me up at 11 o'clock at night, wakes me up and, me, <laughs> and, and, and makes me do the leaves. He put the spotlights on so I had light to do the leaves at 11 o'clock at night. That's just the way it was with my dad. How does this relate to the church? How does this relate to us? Well, we have, we have a need here at the church. There are some urgent needs here at the church. We need workers. Um, I'm thankful for the tremendous workers that we have in our church, the people who have served in the cleaning crew. But we always could use more. We need to replenish those front lines. Uh, my mother-in-law always says many hands make light work. There's a lot of truth to that. The more people that are working, the easier it is for everybody else. Uh, Pastor Jacobs had a theme uh, many years ago, every member a ministry. And we had the banner up on the wall. And the goal was, if you're a member of this church, you ought to have a, you ought to have a ministry. You ought to have something that you're bringing to the body of Christ. And that is important. And there are some, in, there are some ministries in our church, and I'll just mention a few of these. Um, there's a need for teachers. We have a need for greeters, ushers, nursery workers, cleaning crew, special music, visitation, sound booth. A live stream, funeral dinners, bus ministry. It takes a lot of workers to keep a church going. Um, you might say, well, I can't, man, I can't do those things anymore. That has passed me on. Well, we have the ministry of encouragement. I was going to say the ministry of hugging. We have some huggers here in the church. And I love getting hugs from people. Uh, I'm a hugger myself. But we have the ministry of uh, encouragement. I think of Miss Nancy, who, who does, car. she's a professional card maker. She makes cards. She sends them out. I'm telling you, a card, it goes a long way in encouraging people, all right? My wife got a card the other day from a lady in the church, and it made her day. It made my day, all right? Um, cards. Um, what about being a friend? I mean, I think of my, my son, Jackson, uh, who's not here. Many of you are friends with Jack, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny. None of you are his age, you know? <laughs> he's, he's 18 years old. And you, some of you are his closest friends. Um, uh, Richard Harris, 85 years old, I believe, uh, was hanging out with Jack. I mean, they would spend the whole day together. They, they would run the town. They'd go out to eat. They would, they would work in the yard. And it, Jackson was a friend to Richard Harris, and Richard Harris was a friend to Jackson. I think of uh, the relationships in here that uh, many of you have with him. I, I was just thinking this week. I mean, I can go down the line. I, Peggy Foster, the Coons, the Hambies, the Beatles, the Duncans, the Tondolas. There are so many people here that have impacted Jack. That's a ministry. That's a ministry of encouragement, of building up this young man. Uh, when I first got married, I remember Brother Hamby would always be giving me words of encouragement. He'd say, you better take care of that what, your wife. You better, <laughs> you, you, you better treat her right. I remember when we would go out to lunch, Brother Hamby, and uh, you had retired from Diebold, and you were working with a realtor, and you were maintaining buildings in Belden Village, and we'd go out to eat. And those were wonderful times in my life that impacted me and influenced me, that edified me, that built me up. And that's important. 
All right? And uh, we need to invest in each other in the ministry of encouragement. The church is a place to edify, to edify others. Um, it's been said 10% of the people in a church do 90% of the work. Now, I don't know if that's true here. I think we have a better percentage. But there is some truth to that. Some serve out of duty. Some serve for what they can get out of it. Some serve because they're guilted into it. But we ought to serve out of love. We ought to serve with some gladness. Psalms 102 says we're to serve the Lord with gladness. We ought to serve heartily. I mean, you ought to serve with some enthusiasm, some passion, some heart. If you're going to have an attitude about it, you don't do it. If you're going to have a scowl on your face, if you're not going to be happy, you're not going to get the reward. You know, have the right heart. Uh, someone said this, and I, and I agree, true love always labors. It's always work. Secondly, secondly, this is my favorite point here. Go back to Matthew chapter 20 and look at verse 9. <clears throat> the Bible says, And when they came that were hired at about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. Now the first thing I thought when I read that is, that's just not fair. There are people that have been there since 6 a.m., right? Who had been working in the heat of the day. They've been doing all the labor, and then these guys come in, at, these guys have been sleeping in. They come in at, a, at the last hour, the 11th hour, they come in, and they get the same pay as the people who had been there all day. I thought, that's just not fair. Life's just not fair. Everybody wants equality. You hear that term a lot. Everybody wants equal rights, all right? Um, everybody wants parity. What's parity? Uh, Parity is used as a term for uh, sports, maybe NFL teams. You don't want to see the Dallas Cowboys winning the Super Bowl every single year. You want parity. You want equal. You want, you want fairness, all right? Everybody wants equal rights. They want fairness. Um, a couple years ago, um, I believe it was Tom Brady for the New England Patriots was deflating the balls. Remember that? So he could get a better grip on the ball and throw it better in inclement weather. He wasn't playing fair. All right. He got fined. I don't know. The organization got fined a million dollars, I think. It was crazy. Everybody wants fairness. But what I see here is a picture of God's grace. I see a picture of God's grace. Look at, Ephes look at Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 7, but until every one of us is given grace according to the measure of Christ. This is a pretty cool verse. I like this verse. A couple quick thoughts on this verse. Every one of us is given grace. Every single one of us is given grace. Number two, the Bible says it's measured out. Every single one of us gets a measure of grace. When I think of a measuring tool, I think of a, a tape measure, a yardstick, a ruler. Every single person gets a measure of grace. The Bible talks about churches having grace bestowed on them. They get a measure of, uh, of grace. Believe it or not, the lost even get a measure of grace. All right, um, But every single one of us gets a measure of grace. Another thing the scripture teaches us is it's a gift of Jesus Christ. There's gifts of the Holy Spirit, but this is a gift of, from Jesus Christ, a measure of grace. Now, what's the definition of grace? We've got to turn over uh, to God's definition in Titus chapter 2. Look at Titus chapter 2, and look at, 
And look at verse 11. The Bible says this in Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's God's biblical def- definition of grace. All right? Um, it's grace for salvation. For by grace are you saved. But it's also grace for teaching. When Pastor Shane is preaching on adultery and he's preaching to us, that's grace preaching. All right? When he's preaching against alcohol, that's grace preaching. It, the Bible says here in Titus uh, 2.12, it's to teach us. It's to help us to live. We have grace for being saved, and then we have grace for living. All right? When I teach my kids, don't run out in the road and chase the ball and look both ways, I'm teaching them that because what's the alternative if I don't teach them that? If we're not taught about alcohol being wrong, what's the alternative? If we're not, talk, if we're not taught about adultery being a sin, what's the alternative? All right, that's grace teaching, grace preaching. God gives us different measures of grace, all right? Um, let me ask you this. Let me ask you it this way. How many of you asked to be born in the United States of America where there's practically a church on every corner in some parts of our country where you can actually hear the gospel preached? Why weren't you born in Afghanistan? Why weren't... Think of it. There's 8 billion people in this world. The large majority of them will never... They'll stand before God someday never experiencing an ounce of the measure of grace that you have received. It's an absolute privilege to be at a church in Maslin, Ohio, hearing a gospel message from the Word of God. And and think about our freedoms we have. We have been bestowed so much grace. Why were you not born in China or Iraq or Japan? I mean, you could be a Buddhist today. Why do I have the parents that I have? I mean, I think of my father, and he would tell you if he was here today, he was born in the Puerto Rican jungles, <laughs> and he was born up in the coffee hills, and uh, he was so poor, he said the chickens would come up through the floorboards and eat the crumbs underneath the tables when the kids would eat. And the, well, he would tell the testimony that uh, when he moved here from uh, Puerto Rico to the States as a 10-year-old boy, he almost died. He was full of parasites. He was full of all kinds of issues. And he he has a wonderful testimony, but he said he looked up into heaven one day and he said, if there is a God, please save me. Now, he didn't get saved at that point in time, but he knew as a 10-year-old boy, there's got to be more to life than what I have. And he got saved. And the Lord changed him and God showed him a measure of grace. Now, I've experienced more grace than even my dad has. I mean, I was born into a Baptist home with good gospel preaching. I got saved at a relatively young age, um, I, got thing, I had to get things settled at age 18, but I, my dad didn't have what I had. I, had I, I got more grace than he had. And then I look at my family, and I look at what Jack, Austin, and Grace have. I mean, they had more grace than my dad ever got. And um, we have a measure of grace. I think of the families here. I, it, it, I don't know why God gives certain people blessings and grace. The Bible says in Exodus, uh, oh, 
let's, let's turn over to Exodus 33. I think it's 33:19, real quick here. We have 20 minutes. We're okay. Exodus 33. <clears throat> and I believe it's, uh, let's see here, 19. Think of baby Moses. Remember baby Moses? All the other Hebrew children are being slaughtered. They're being killed. His mom puts him out on the river, and God shows him grace and rescues him. All right? Why wasn't Moses, why wasn't Moses killed like the other Hebrew children? Look at verse 19. God says, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Are you saying our God's a Calvinist God? No, he's God. He's going to be gracious to whom he'll be gracious to. He'll show mercy to whom he'll show mercy to. He basically says that. Paul says it in uh, Romans. Let's turn over to Romans 9. Go over to Romans 9, almost verbatim. Romans 9. Look at Romans 9. Uh, Let's see here. I should have written this down. Romans 9, 14. Okay, Romans 9, 14 and 16. Paul says, is God unrighteous because he picks and chooses who he's going to be merciful to? 9.14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I, on whom I will have compassion. So then, is it not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God, and showeth mercy? Why has, we all have a different measure of grace. Why has God given some people more grace than others? I mean, I think of the Simons, a picture of grace. Uh, 18 years ago, 17 years ago, they found our church, Stanball's building, they all come back. Look at the measure of grace just in their family, all right? You got Mike Schmidt, who's in Brazil as a missionary. Uh, he married a wonderful girl as Ashley. Ashley, they have wonderful, wonderful grandchildren. You got Tony Simon, who went to Bible college, Heartland Baptist Bible College, married a girl out of this church, have a wonderful family. He's in the full-time ministry. You have the crown jewel of them all, Sarah, in my opinion, all right? Sarah, uh, I still call her Sarah Simon. It's it's Sarah LeVere. Uh, Sarah Simon and and their kids serving the Lord full-time. You look at the measure of grace that God has given this family, but then you have other families who have had who have had three kids in this church, have not gotten that same measure of grace. I look at churches. God's bestowed grace to churches. Why, are, why is it some pastors struggle? It's, their whole ministry is a war. Everything's a challenge. And then you have some buckaroo that comes out of college, and he, he takes a church, and everything goes good, and he's full-time, and he has two cars, and everybody's happy in his family, and he has a house, and everything's going good. God gives different, God's going to show mercy to whom he'll show mercy to. He's going to be gracious to whom he'll show grace to. Why? I don't know why. All right? My dad was bivocational. My whole life, my dad struggled to become full-time. He went full-time one time that I know of, and it lasted about a month. All right? He had maybe 80 to 100 people, and he was able to go full-time. He was always working a full-time job, 40, 50 hours a week, always struggling, then he had to preach, and he would preach three times a week. And then I see other pastors, and man, 
since they got out of college, everything just seems to go hunky-dory for them. No, no issues, no church issues. People aren't mad at them. I know that's not true. I know every pastor has their struggles. But it just seems to me like they have it easy. All right? I, you know, why does the Simons have three beautiful kids all full-time in the ministry? I mean, they had a great youth pastor and Brother Bomber, Pastor Jacobs. I mean, and then you have other families. Their kids have no love for Christ. They have no love to be, they have no desire to be in church. I'm telling you what, we have all been given a measure of grace. I, some of us, I, I, I taught this to the teens one time, they, they take advantage of the grace of God. They really do. They take advantage, they feel like they can live like they want, they can sin, they can do whatever they want, and then whenever they want to ask for forgiveness, God is there just to forgive them, and everything will be fine. They'll have peace with their, with their sin. And God is just a thing of convenience to them. And you've got to be careful that we, that we don't take advantage of the grace of God. The Bible said he also multiplies grace to us. All right? Go to John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. In other words, more grace. <laughs> you got Jesus, and now you get more grace. How many of you like mashed potatoes? I like mashed potatoes, all right? My wife makes the best mashed potatoes, let me tell you. You got to come over to the house and have her mashed potatoes. Uh, you know, she puts the potatoes, what do you call that, pressure cook, in the pressure cooker, and they're bland if they come out by themselves. I mean, there's nothing to them. But then she takes, um, I think, a, a tub of sour cream, I believe, dumps it into the potatoes. No? Okay. Cream cheese. I thought you put sour cream in there. Okay, okay, that ruins my illustration. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so she, she does cream cheese, she does butter, and when they come out, we put salt and pepper. And I just thought she's just heaping butter in there. That's grace. She's heaping sour, I'm going to say sour cream in there. That's grace. That cream cheese, that's grace. That salt and pepper, that's grace. And we just keep, we just, my dad, if he was here today, he would tell you, I've gotten grace multiplied, heaped on, heaped on. If I could tell you all the stories of, of, of my family, you know, I have a sister in full-time uh, ministry. She's married to a, a great uh, brother-in-law, Jeremiah, in Michigan. I have a brother in uh, Puerto Rico. He's a missionary. All of, all eight of us, as far as I know, we're all saved. We're all in church. All the grandbabies that have reached that age of accountability, I believe they're saved or close to being saved. And I'm telling you, my dad would say, I came from Puerto Rico. I came from a little jungle up in the mountains. And look how God has blessed them. God has blessed them. He's, God has blessed You don't realize how blessed we are. We could be in a mountain cave in Afghanistan today. Why did God allow us to be born here? In the, why did he show mercy to us? Why did he show graciousness to us? Why did he show compassion to you? We're nobody. I mean, think about it. We are nobody, and God showed mercy. God showed grace. Why did God show grace to Moses? Or 
Yeah, why did God show grace to Moses and not to any of those other Hebrew children? We don't know. But God multiplies grace to us. What's the point? The point is he's a generous, a generous employer. You don't want to work for someone who's not generous. Man, he's a generous employer. Grace is not just for us to brag about all the things that we have. It really isn't. Grace is for us to grow. Grace is, if you read Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7, and go all the way down, uh, where he gave some apostles, some, that is all for us to grow in the body of Christ. It's to edify. Grace is never meant for us to go backwards in our spiritual walk. It's always meant to grow and to move forward. He is a generous employer. Um, the Bible says if you give a glass of water in my name, there'll be a reward. Think about that. Brother Beadle came to me. The first, I hadn't even got out of the van. And he goes, do you want some water? <laughs> You're going to get a reward for that, brother. He, he, he gave me this water, and I drank it so fast because my mouth was so dry. And I said, Andrew, I need another one. You know? And he's going to get a reward for that. You know, I think of Miss Digman, who comes in on Wednesdays and does the little pencil thing and, and, and puts the cards in, the attendance slips and the tithing slips. She'll get a reward for that. The, uh, uh, the, uh, the greeters, Brother Weezy has been a greeter since I've been in this church. He is going to get a reward for that. And I'm telling you, our God is a generous employer. And the church, we have ministries not so we can say, this is what we do at the church, but it's to edify and build up the church. I'm thankful for the people who have influenced me to work in the church. Um, we had some girls here. Uh, I, I call her Liliana, but I think her name is Lily. And there's another little girl. They came in here Wednesday night, and they had their little rubber gloves on. And they had been working in the, yeah, they had, they had been working in the bathrooms. And they were so proud of it. And they wanted to show everybody they've been working in the bathrooms. And I believe Mrs. Simon's been working with them and teaching them how to clean the bathrooms. And uh, they asked me if they could clean the bathrooms a couple weeks ago. And I said, yeah, but you need an adult to show you what to do. You know, because you know how little kids are. They're going to go in there and just destroy the place. And Mrs. Simon's working with them. But that's what the church is all about. The church is about uh, building up. What ministry do you have? Um, what are you doing? What's your part? Um, God didn't save us just to sit here. God saved us to do something. You can do something little. You, you may not be able to pound the pavements and invite people to church. But man, that card ministry that you have, Miss Nancy, that's a blessing to people. Um, you know, being dis discerning, um, that's important. Um, probably about 13 years ago, I lost my job at Kelly Services. I was laid off and... Uh, um, <coughs> Mrs. Isom doesn't remember this, but somehow she found out that I was laid off. And I remember after the, the morning service, I'll never forget it, she came up to me and she gave me a $20 bill. Now, that wasn't a whole lot of money, but it's what she had. And I'm telling you what, that impacted this day. And if you ask my class, how many times have I mentioned her in my lesson? That impacted me 13 years ago. I will never forget her kindness to me, ever. I will never forget when Brother Duncan gave me a box of books from the Sword of the Lord so that I could study for my, for, for my new class. He says, you may need these. I'll never forget the kindness that family has shown me. And there are opportunities for us to minister to others, to edify each other, and to build each other up. 
And what are you doing? I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm just saying, think about what could you do. And just remember, he is a generous employer. I mean, he's a persistent recruiter. He didn't give up. I mean, he went back to the marketplace five times. That's the grace of God right there. After the first time, I just said, you know what? I'm not going back to that marketplace and finding another. I'll find them somewhere else. I'll take my farm to another country where there's workers. All right? He, he doesn't have to use us, but he wants to use us. I think we'll stop right there. And um, do you usually have an invitation? Yeah. Okay, let, let's do a song of invitation. Let's go ahead and stand. And um, I'll go ahead and pray. We'll have, a, we'll have a verse of invitation, and then we'll get ready for the second service. Lord, we do thank you for the thoughts today. And Lord, we thank you that you are a generous employer. Lord, that you do reward us. Thank you for the grace of God, Lord, that you've measured out to each and every single one of us. We thank you that, uh, Lord, we have everything we need in you. And Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts about what we could do for our church and how we can help the church and edify the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with Brother Preston as he preaches a second message. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.